Hello. Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi, Guthrie. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing, I am doing just fine. Just fine. Um, we are reaching the end of our lecture series. We have two more. Two more. This one and then one more. Yep. Although yep. we might do something like this again. We reserve the right to talk or do anything we want at any time. <laughs> to, we reserve the right to make our audience suffer. That's right. <laughs> if you're suffering, why are you listening? I guess I need a more optimistic attitude about this. Yeah, I guess so. We reserve the right to enlighten our audience with all of this wonderful knowledge. How's that? Is that better? That's good. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so we have two more yep. uh, in our series, and um, and we're going to introduce the topic in a moment. And today's is going to be like an introduction to that topic, and then the the last one we do in the series will be more of a deep dive into the same topic, right? That's right. And what's the topic, Guthrie? So the topic is we're trying to. Uh, do something more grounded than conceptual models. Though that's like... That was our last yeah. two series. That was very conceptual, abstract. So we're talking about um, behavioral design. Yep. And I want to talk about the in intersection, the confluence of... Uh, it's it's, it's kind of like a service design or uh, marketing design. Uh, marketing design sort of sounds wrong, but that's sort of what it is, and UX. Right. We want to talk about this intersection where the UX designers are designing things, but the marketing people are having a big say as to, you know. Or, or service design or product design. Right. Because we're talking about behavioral design. So where the the product side or the marketing side of the organization has a lot of things they want people to do. They are kind of directing the behavior they're looking for and they're asking for the UX designer to design for that. Yeah, so let's so we we should set this up. The designer, we are just assuming. So you know, they sort of want to make things easy for the user. They want to meet the user's needs. Yeah. That's, but that's our not, assumption. Yeah, that's the assumption. But that's not always the business goal. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times the business has a particular behavior they're looking for. Right. So so the first sort of uh, part then that you can maybe talk about is um, how does this usually happen, right? How, how, how does, so for example, if I go to American Airlines, there'll be a banner that says, you know, click here to sign up for the new American Airlines Visa card. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, that's not in the best interest of the user. Not necessarily. It could be. Could be. Let's, but let's not assume necessarily, that it's, it, you know, if we for, looked for at. For most people, if, it's not. Right. If we mapped out the the task analysis of what yeah. the, the, the particular user is coming to the website to do, probably high up on the list is, you know, book a flight or something. And and probably high, high up on the list is not, 
I I really want to sign up for American card. Airlines credit card. And yet that is going to might be very prominent at the website at, at the top of the website, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So somebody besides the designer is likely setting that as a goal. And we sort of talked about uh, before when you know we've we've talked about a lot of app stuff and you you hate features I, I or like design well, I don't design hate features. to I mean I use features all the time but no but like design for like uh, using features as a as a design criteria as your roadmap of what of what you're gonna do, what you're gonna work on a design like oh, we, we need we to design these, it this way so that we, we want to design have these a features. feature well even just deciding what the feature you know even just the list of important features I just don't like thinking about design from a feature point of view because to me. You know, it's all about the user and what the user's trying to do. And and it is true. I mean, Guthrie, you know, look, when you're doing design work, really, in reality, you are at the intersection of what the user wants and needs and what the business wants and needs and what the technology opportunities and constraints are. I mean, those are the three, you know, you draw the Venn diagram and those are the three things, and the stuff in the middle is what you actually need to go design. Um, and so I think it sets up a, um, I think inherent in that is tension. If if you're saying that that the designer piece, the user experience designer piece, that that person, the UX designer, is supposed to, be an advocate for usability and satisfaction and delight and all that other stuff, there's an inherent tension because there is a portion of what the business side wants and what the technology can do and can't do that is at odds with what the user's trying to do. And that's, that's reality. So as a designer, you often end up in this kind of weird place, you know, where you're asked to design things. And we're not even talking about, you know, designing things that aren't ethical, right? I mean, that's a whole nother topic that you and I have personally um, been involved, been asked to do, luckily, mm-hmm. Very rarely, <laughs> but I there are stories that I can tell about times when we've been asked to do things that we've declined to do because we felt they were unethical. There were a couple times before you joined the business, Guthrie, where I was asked to do things that I actually happened to know were illegal in the U.S. based on because I had done work with the Federal Trade Commission. And I this one client was asking me to do things that I actually knew were illegal and. I said I said that to them, and they looked panic stricken. I don't know if they were panic stricken because they were caught, found out, <laughs> or because they didn't know that what they were planning on doing was illegal. But anyway, they didn't hire me. Um, but we're not talking about that. We're just talking about design for particular behavior, right? You know, 
that the business side and or usually it's the business side wants. So, okay. So what about this then? We've established the context. Okay. So what's to you, how, how do you think these uh, decisions in companies happen? How do you, what's the, what's sort of the, the process by which you end up getting uh, in the middle of the site, you know, a large banner ad for a credit card? Um, you know, I, I was in a meeting this morning, actually, in which the discussion was about, um, you know, making sure that the plans that the UX group and the technology group had about this product and the design and decisions and so on were, were whether there was support from the business side. So part of how these decisions get made or who gets to make them depends on the organization, um, the particular uh, structure of that company or organization and who has uh, power <laughs> and who has the money, right? So very typically at, at a website, if we're talking about a website, then the uh, marketing part of the organization is is often very powerful and they're making the decisions and they say, part of, you know, they maybe they've decided this or they hired a, a consultant who has said, look, we're going to do a campaign, right? So the business, the business has decided, we'll just keep using the airlines example. The business has decided that uh, having people get an American Airlines, sorry, American for using you as an example, this would be true for any of the airlines, that if people get a, a, an airline credit card, the airline is going to make a lot of money. Typically, branded credit cards like this, uh, they make a lot of money. That's why they do it. That's why there are so many of these. So they've decided that this would be great. This would be a way of bringing in revenue that is tangential to people buying airline tickets. And, um, you know, they want to do it. And so they are calling the shots and they turn to whoever is doing design. Again, it might be an outside company, it might be inside designers and they say we want to put a big banner at the top of the page and then it happens i don't know that's a complicated question Did, am i answering the question you asked okay no yeah that's good so so what's interesting is i think the uh the way that you know a designer would talk about behavior is a little different than someone in marketing or someone in um service design because like I said, there there are business motivations, and so how that's translated isn't you know designers often it ends up with an interface for better or for worse, right? Like that's that's usually right. The, you have a product or you have a website. I mean, you have you have a you have an interface that that the customer or user is going to be interacting with in some that's, capacity, right? And that's how you are you are putting across your service that you're trying to get people to to sign up for that's the behavior mm -hmm. right. whereas the kind of 
goal of of if you're designing, you know, doing service design, or if you're doing, you know, uh, trying to trying to get people to sign up for this or that. I mean, that's just it's just a very different, um, very different uh, world, very different. Um, you know, you don't you you may not end up with an interface. It may not kind of go in that way. It may look. It may be more. It may be. It may be more of like. A, a campaign, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, but I think th- this is a, an interesting point, Guthrie, that you raise because uh, I mean, there there is a very direct relationship between a campaign and an interface, and I, and and you know, these days, because a lot of campaigns are digital. They, by necessity, imply an interface, and and interestingly, they often imply making changes to an interface that already exists for a different purpose. Right. So yeah. it's not just that the airlines is is going to create a special web page just to sell credit cards. Right. They they could do that. They're probably not going to do that. I mean, there are specialized landing pages for things, for campaigns. But very typically, you're trying to swoop people from, you know, they're visiting the website and you're trying to grab their attention from the purpose that they went to that website and divert them to the campaign. So I would say, you know, 75% of the time, if there's some kind of campaign it's going to have an impact on on the main interface that was not designed for that campaign right right so when when you're talking about uh, just generally the options at the disposal of trying to get this behavioral stuff to do to, to work to do things what um, you know most companies go to rewards I think uh, what are, what are, what are, I mean, is that, do you, do, do you think that's true when it comes to trying to get people to, to do various things? I suppose, I suppose it's not, I suppose marketing is usually not rewards. I can never tell. I don't know what marketing is, what, what, uh, what they're using. <laughs> this is not to, a marketing uh, podcast for no. good reason, because yeah, for good you reason. and I yeah, are the first kidding. people in that will admit that we mm-hmm. are not marketers. Yeah, for sure. And we do not know that world very well. I mean, we, we, I would have to say a lot of our clients are marketers and are in marketing, but that's not, we are not. Anyway, what was your question, Guthrie? So my question is what, what are the, I mean, we, you've talked about how UX uses the different types of motivations to right. get people We've to talked do stuff about, when it comes right, to and there are seven motivators uh, that I talk behavioral about behavioral design right. right does that does that does that apply when you move outside the ux world does there does there need to be a, tr- a like a, a translation layer well okay all right so we talk about the seven motivators um, of human behavior and and in behavioral design we talk about you know possibly using those as levers to get people to take the action you want them to take. And, and um, 
you know, things like the desire for mastery, the use of stories and self-stories, rewards, habits, and so on. Now, if we're talking about, if you're asking, hey, does that the same, you know, does that apply when you're talking about getting them to take a UX-based action versus a marketing based action, uh, yeah, the same things apply. Because these are the, I mean, this is, those seven things are not motivators about UX. Those are just human motivation, you know, what gets people to take action. So, yeah, the same things apply, yes. But it's interesting, Guthrie, with, um, you know, because the example, right, how can I get you to sign up for the credit card? Or how can I get you to, to join and become a member, right? Sure. You know, that's another common one that happens. So, or, or sign up for marketing emails, right? Although mm-hmm. they won't phrase it that way. No. I don't know how they phrase it. Well, maybe they do phrase it that way. Um, and I don't, I don't think those are rewards. Right. They don't, they don't feel like rewards. Well, you know, because I use a pretty narrow definition of reward, right? I mean, to me, a reward is based on operant conditioning from the B.F. Skinner's research. And so we're talking about what can what are we going to do in order to increase the incidence of a behavior? That's a reward. And if you give people, you know, if you if you sign up for the credit card, we're going to you know, you're going to get a 5% discount on your flights. You're going to get, right, whatever all the, you're going to get access to the American Airlines lounges at the airports, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are all benefits, but there's no, it's not like we're doing that in order to increase the incidence of behavior. Because there's just one behavior. It's signing right. up for the credit card. It's not like, oh, and by doing these things, we'll get you to sign up for the credit card, you know, five times a month. No, that's not, right? So to me, those those aren't really rewards. Those That's a negotiation. It's a nego- negotiation. Yeah, it's a benefit negotiation. I'm just trying to talk you into whether it's worth it to, to take this action. Um, it's a negotiation. It's not a reward. I don't think of it as a reward. For, okay. In my view of psychology, it's not a reward. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, it, there's there's this there's this there's this negotiation. Yeah. And how how do UXers? I, like the, the 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 question is, how are UXers supposed to design for this negotiation? that they don't really have a conversation with. Like we don't often in the UX world talk about hey like having a negotiation with a uh, with a user. Like this this is this is just not language that you hear very often. Is that is that, is that fair? Yeah. So UXers are being asked to do this stuff. How do you how do you translate that? How do you how do you deal with with this part of behavioral yeah, design. Yeah. Yeah. So so to me, the whole um, and maybe this is a cop out. Maybe this is a cop out. To me, the whole negotiation part, like 
is it worth it for me to get this credit card? Is this a good thing for me? Right? Yes. Um, that is, this is interesting. I think it's outside the realm of, of what, of what I do as a behavioral designer and a UX person. I will tell you what is inside the realm. If we're talking about behavioral design, I think what is inside the realm is the question of what can we do at this part of the web page to encourage people to notice the campaign and offer we have, to encourage people to click on the button that says learn more. You know, like what what are the things that we can do to get that behavior? It's a very specific behavior. We want people to click on the link when they come to the website. That's the piece that I think is involved in behavioral design and UX. The whole other question about is this a, a good uh, deal for me and all of that, to me that's not in the, that's a that's a separate world. And that's not what I would deal with with UX or behavioral design. But maybe that's just <laughs> me trying to get out of doing that work. Well, I can just say, well, it's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and yet, I mean, UXers have to do this kind of stuff. I don't know that they do. I think that, uh, no, I think the so, UX, the okay. UXers should not be putting together the campaign and deciding with whether giving people access to the lounges and a 5% discount on the airlines. Is that enough? Oh, but okay. They don't, yeah. They don't have to put that together, but they're, yeah. they're told, hold on. Well, we have to put this, this feature in like we, we need, we, you need to put this banner or this thing. Definitely. This- definitely. That's, that is absolutely what the UX person is asked. So in that regard, then I think, you know, so now we get to the the interesting place where the UX person, you know, it's a question of what's important to your stakeholder, whoever that is, about this page. So, you know, my question would be, yeah, I can change this page so that the most important thing that people need to do is press on the learn more button about the credit card. If that's what you want me to do, if everyone is in agreement that that is the, you know, we talk, Guthrie, about micro moments, right? Mm-hmm. And so what is the most important thing <laughs> that you want someone to do on this page? You want this persona to do on this page. And if you're telling me the most important thing is that they push on that learn more button, then, you know, I can design for that. I might push back and tell you that, I think you're giving that too much weight. And w- what what about the most important thing being that people book a trip? Like, you know, because now we have a, a mismatch between um, what the user's trying to do and what the organization wants them to do. And that happens a lot. So, you know, as a user advocate, if I... If my research shows that, you know, 90% of the time people are trying to check out booking a flight, you know, I, I might have the guts to push back on you when you want me to take over the entire 
top half of the page <laughs> with the, with the marketing campaign offer. Or, I mean, you know, the, the, the worst offender this way, Guthrie, is the pop-up. That's it. Now that, yeah, that's, that's an, an ancient technology. Yeah, that's back. It's like, yeah, it is. Back. It's back. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really want to note here. All right. So I'm torn about the pop-up thing because half of me says, you know, it is a really bad idea and, you know, it's annoying as heck. I love it. I love it when they make it hard to find or click on the close button. You know, like where where the close button, the ad comes up and the close button doesn't come up for another four seconds, you know. Mm. I, I, it's like so manipulative and it, I find them extremely annoying. But the other half of me says, "Is it? do people have data on this? I mean, I'm guessing, but I could be wrong. I wish I were wrong, that it's extremely effective. Right. That the data shows that when you do this, people click on it. Uh, I mean, I hope there's data. <laughs> I, it's, I don't want there to be data to, that shows that that works, and yet I want there to be data because I don't want it. I don't, what's worse? What's worse? That humans will, do, will click on the darn thing or that the organization is continuing to do this even though there isn't any data to support it. I don't know which is the worst situation. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, from a UX user advocate point of view, no. I don't like it. But, yeah. you know, we can do, one could do research and one can find out how annoyed are people by it versus how much is it making people actually click on, you know, and take the behavior you're desiring. And then somebody in this organization has to make a decision. You know, it, is the benefit of the annoyance worth it? Is, is the annoyance, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting problem because you may, you know, you know how many people are clicking on it. You don't know how many people have decided they're not going to come to you anymore because they're tired of that darn pop-up. You have no way of knowing that. So, and maybe maybe you don't care. That's the part that's so sad, Guthrie. They just don't care. <laughs> but, you know, you've heard, I mean, I care. And you've heard me talk about, you know, Ulex is dead. UX is going downhill, and it's these all these all add to add to this. You caught me in a dark mood today, Guthrie. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so negative, but I, it's a really good question about the. You know, I think in a lot of organizations, the assumption is that the UX person, and you know, there's a conflation of UX and UI. Yeah, that the person designing the interface is just going to do whatever we tell them to do. And if we tell them we want a big banner at the top and we want big buttons, they're going to do that. And um, and I think in a lot of organizations, the assumption is that the UX person doesn't know about behavioral design and won't be able to help you. And won't be able to tell you, for instance, that you should make the button a noun and not a verb. The research shows that people are more likely to take action if you've invoked group identity by using a noun. And uh, 
you know, chances are, I think in the modern world, the user interface designer is told what button to use, what color to make it, and what the word should say. And so if the user user interface designer has knowledge in behavioral design, they may not even be asked to to express that knowledge. But that's that's a cynical me. So then how would you suggest that behavioral design is instituted? Like like at its core, if you were if if I waved a magic wand and said, okay, you're CEO. Uh, okay, that's dangerous. <laughs> Wait a minute. I am a CEO. Oh yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a large organ, large oh, organization. Oh, of a, of a large organization, like an airline. Okay. That's hilarious. You were scared of being CEO and you're, you literally are. <laughs> and then I realized I am CEO. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're, you know, we're, ta- we're talking about behavioral design. Yeah. So who would you have be in charge of that? Who would you, how would you, how would you be the mediator of the negotiation between other departments and the, the way they would just set things up and yeah. the UX team or the engineering team or whatever and and using behavioral design. Because, I mean, you teach a whole course about behavioral design. Normally, this lecture series is behavioral design adjacent. And the whole point, and it's sort of geared towards UXers. So, yes. I mean, you're sort of starting with the preamble that behavioral design should be in the realm of UX. Do you Would you stick to that? I think that behavioral design is a whole field unto itself, regardless of UX. That's fair. I mean, you and I even do behavioral design consulting work that doesn't have anything to do with designing screens, right? Fair, So, So I would say that. But in the realm of behavioral design and UX, um, yeah, I believe I would say, and this is just my view of the world, so I would say that the best situation for all involved would be that – the, the UX people are aware of and knowledgeable about behavioral design and that they know how to uh, use it within, within whatever, what, whatever it is they're designing. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is, is, so part of that type of behavioral design, we're doing it from a UX point of view, is behavioral design, yes, we want people to take a certain action, but we don't want to put that higher than, you know, what the user's trying to do. There's there's what the user's trying to do. There's what the organization is trying to get the user to do. Those are not always the same thing. When they are the same thing, that's so wonderful, right? So everybody wants the user to go book some airline tickets. Yay. You know, the UX people want that. The organization wants that. We can come together. We can use behavioral design and then also just best practices of UX design to make that happen. And that's wonderful. But, but, but sometimes what the user wants to do and what the organization wants them to do is not the same thing. So I do want a UX person to be integrally involved. But like with everything UX, the UX person is not usually in control of this. So it's a, it's, it's a discussion. It's, uh, you know, you have a stakeholder and it's typically not you. And it's typically not a UX person. It's someone on the business side, someone on the product side, someone in marketing. 
someone in engineering. And they have what they want to do. And then you're advocating for the user and what the user wants to do. And you have to evaluate that gap. How big is that gap? How problematic is the gap? So if we do what the stakeholder's asking for, have we now uh, had a large negative impact on the user's experience? And if so, then I think it, it's, I think to just take a behavioral design point of view on it and say, okay, great, I'll tell you how to design this page so that people will take that action, even though that action is not what the user wants, you know, that's not what they came for, and it's going to, you know, if I take up the whole top of the page with the banner, it's going to interfere with the, what the user's trying to do. I, yeah, I think the behavioral designer should also take into account that user perspective perspective. So I do think it is a UX slash behavioral designer person that should be doing that. I guess I'm just saying it isn't always. A lot of times the stakeholder is playing the role of behavioral designer and they don't necessarily have a user perspective. Yeah. Well, why would they? Yeah, I mean, why would they? That's not their job, right? No, no, that's right. So, so, do you? Would you? If you were a UXer, which I am, which you are, um, as well as the CEO, <laughs> as well so, as a behavioral designer. I think so. I think UXers are asked to use behavioral design work so rarely. I think they do it. I think there's sometimes that they can do it in fits and starts when the business people don't really have a good idea of what to do. Um, so it's, it, it just, it, I found that it makes teaching behavioral design so interesting because uh, teaching behavioral design to UX is so interesting because while it's useful, I feel like they, they like, a lot of times, unless it's the visual component, because some of the behavioral design, okay, so the behavioral design topics you teach, right? Like vision and the brain. That's something yeah. that UX designers do use. Right. But I think so like a lot of the motivation ideas stuff. about color and shape and size and peripheral vision and all those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's some stuff that like, yeah, obviously directly applies. But I feel like a lot of this stuff, it, it's sort of like, like the UXers are really interested in it. I find when we teach this stuff and then they'll like, they'll never use it. Cause like, they're just never going to be in charge of setting up the of product, making, setting yeah. up the service, Although, setting up the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the initiatives um, or the app. Like the, if you're making well, a video game, you know, and we were talking about this just last week and, because, because, you know, we were, we were, if you recall, we were having a discussion about when we, taught a series of behavioral design workshops to teams where the product the product person and the software de development person and the UX person came you know we had we had different teams like this and we taught the workshop to to the set of teams and that you know so that would be more ideal right because then you actually have in that case for this one client you know, the, the people in the room 
we're the ones that would be making these decisions. But yeah, yeah, I. So so basically, you're telling me that um, my business plan of teaching workshops for behavioral design to UX people is actually a really bad idea, and no. I should scrap it. No, I, th- I mean, I think it, I think it's good. But the question is, are they are they working in those spaces? I mean, in fairness, a lot of times when we teach these stuff, there's people from other departments that. Yeah, yeah. It's multi. I, I think it depends on the. I mean, it varies, right? I think there's there. It, you're right. There's a lot of UI designers, perhaps who could can make use of some of it, right? Like the the part of the workshop that has to do with visual design, as you said. Uh, and then there might be other things where, okay, they are not going to be able to influence the frame or the choice architecture or the decision making or the you know use of stories or right all, all the other part of the other part, some of the other parts of what we teach. Um, but I still think it's good for them to know. And then I think there are some people who uh, perhaps work on a more UX strategy level who who can use a lot of it. So I think it depends. I think it depends on their role in the organization as a UX person. Okay. Um, so yeah, where, where should we go now in, in terms of, in terms of this conversation? That's a really good question. So, um, there's a couple of places we could pivot. Well, get what are, what are my options? <laughs> Did you did you want to add any of the options, or are you just you just going to? No, use no, I'm here? asking you for the options. Okay. Well, uh, part one is, I suppose we could um, we could continue to focus on the uh, like like behavioral design as a body of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, uh, how different parts of an organization should use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one way we can go. Uh, we can focus in on a specific aspect of behavioral design mm-hmm. uh, and, and focus further in there. We can talk about uh, the way that um, the, 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 there are, there are uh, other, I guess I would call it, I don't know, methodologies within an organization and and how um, it, it's it is hard to design like like how how can you design something using a behavioral design methodology or, or not a methodology behavioral design strategies but doing that within uh, other uh, design frameworks or agile frameworks or design um, thinking or design thinking like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those those are those are those are some options. Oh my goodness, Guthrie, those we are can just we can really do do a part options. we can do a part two, and just uh, well, uh, we are going to do a part two, but um, yeah. oh, hmm. Do you have a preference? No, I have no no preference. No, this is this is your show. This is your lecture series, as I've said from the beginning. Well, let's do um, either one of the first two. Okay. Let's pause on number three. Maybe maybe we will adjust some of number three in our next uh, episode. But let's do number one or number two, and now I don't remember what those were. <laughs> well, number, 
Number two was just talking about an aspect of behavioral design. Yeah. That that you could do. Um, number one was to continue to to talk about uh, how um, behavioral design sort of is is implemented is used um, that uh, how 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 you can have sort of a I mean it's it's a, it's a pretty broad topic it's like so you know so for example uh, uh, the using behavioral design um, you know who, who does it not apply to is it something that should be you know, organizationally wide. Um, you can talk about that. You can talk about uh, whether the behavioral, um, you know, did like like how how behavioral design, you know, interacts with a design system. These are oh, I'm not going there. All right, let's talk <laughs> about um, let's talk about yeah, how behavioral design. Let's talk about getting into just some of the the details about behavioral design. Like, where does it apply? I'm a UX person, and I'm designing some pages and screens. So if, if we're going to talk about behavioral design, if we're going to talk about how to use rewards or visual design or, or what we know about human decision-making, you know, all the different things in order to change behavior, that's all the details of it. Mm-hmm. But what does that have to do with me? Right. As a UX person, uh, you know, I'm designing the screens and pages for this product. It might be a website, it might be an app, it might be software. What does this have to do with me? Right? Uh, which I think you were kind of implying. Can we can we go into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So, I think the way to think about it is uh, at any given moment, on any given screen or page, or could have to do with a voice interaction, right? At any given moment, what is the user trying to do? What do you, do you, you being the the owner of this website, the organization that's doing this product, what do you want them to do? What is that gap? And what can you, as a UX slash UI designer do to make it more likely that someone's going to take that desired action at that point. And to me, that's at the heart of behavioral design. So one of the things I try and get across to people is behavioral design is quite specific. I think, you know, it's not just like, oh, we're going to do good user interface design. Well, that's really broad and general, and there are like 5,000 things that go into that, right? Um, mm-hmm. No, we're in this case, we're talking about the users right here, and they're doing this thing, and they're trying to accomplish this task, and the organization wants them to take this particular action. What can we do to make it more likely that they will? Right. And, um, you know, that I, so I think, I think if you're going to apply behavioral design, you have to start to think at 
more at that micro moment level. And to me, that's what's different about behavioral design from other UX design. So, you know, for instance, Guthrie, the, the last two episodes that we recorded about mental models and conceptual models and objects and views and all of that, you know, it was very conceptual and it was very high level. And it wasn't about micro moment design. It was the opposite. It's macro design, right? It's making decisions that are going to permeate within the whole product and, and influence the whole task flow. And that is not what we're talking about here. When you're talking about behavioral design, you're talking about, okay, what are we going to do right at this moment? What, how should we design that page so that people will, you know, press that button or click on that link or finish the, the process that they're doing? Um, what can we, what is the wording we can use that will motivate them? What, uh, you know, the visual design aspects we were talking about, you know, um, so it's very, very specific. And I think that's one of the major differences to me between behavioral design and general UX design is that specificity in moment and, and place. Which is, which is certainly different than, uh, than the priorities of other parts of the organization that doesn't really care about moment and place. They just, that's like a metric. Cause that's not like a very, like moment and place is not very metric. No, I, uh, the, I would say the opposite. Oh, you think you think it's the opposite? Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think, in fact, I think, you know, one of the reasons when we were talking in our last episode about, you know, the difficulty of doing the, the, object view and the conceptual model design. I mean, one of the reasons I think that's so difficult is that that is not very metric oriented and it's hard to wrap your head around. Whereas in this case, we're talking about, you know, we can measure, you know, we can do A-B testing and measure that with this design, you know, twice as many people press that button. So making the button wording be a verb was more effective or showing an image of, of, um, of food on the, on the counter in the kitchen when we were trying to, you know, sell cabinet facing, uh, that worked better than not having the image of food. And we know that that would be true because we know that food grabs attention and so on. So that's very metric oriented. I think behavioral design is extremely metric oriented. And I think it's a good idea to, to be that specific. Okay. So if you're going to be, if you're, so, okay. So, so if you, if you disagree with me and say it is metric oriented, is it, is it regular metrics? Is it weirdo behavioral design metrics? <laughs> Wait a minute. What's regular metrics and what's weirdo behavioral design? Oh, regular metric metrics that I've heard of. You know, clicks, views. I think it's time regular metrics. It's regular metrics. Okay. So there's there's no there's no special secret behavioral design metrics. No, no. What's special and secret is what can is what we are doing 
in order to make that metric happen. That's that's the that's the secret sauce. The 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 that's yeah, the secret sauce. Did you do did we ever determine if it was secret sauce or magic sauce? It's secret sauce, isn't it? I mean, it, there's not a right or wrong answer. I, just, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends on what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that I think it's in fact, I think it's really important when you're doing behavioral design work to try and get that specific. You know, that's how will you know that the behavioral design ideas that we are suggesting get put into place, you know, how will we know they're successful? And and the reason that's useful is not just because then you can prove you were successful, which is always useful, right? But it gets very specific about what what is it you want here, you know, to the stakeholder. What it, what is it you want to have happen? Now, sometimes, <clears throat> you know, I mean that I, I'm thinking of a particular client we had that. They were so specific, again, and this kind of goes back to the airline credit card thing, that, yeah, okay, I can design the page so that that's what people do, but that's really what you want? <laughs> you you really don't care about anything else? Because, yeah, remember you, you said just put a big red button on. Just make the whole, just make the whole screen one enormous one button, gigantic button. If that's really the only thing you care about, yeah. So, but I think it's important to, um, you know, sometimes clients are very clear on what they want when they want behavioral design. And a lot of times they're not because they're not used to thinking this way. So I think it's really useful. You know, it, if we measured, how do you define success? I think that's an important question. And and if we were going to measure it, how would, what is it we would measure and how would we measure it? Um, you know, and I, I guess I think, you know, it's interesting, Guthrie, because when you're talking about behavioral, if we talk about behavioral design versus just, quote, regular UX design, behavioral design is for a particular goal. You know, UX design should probably be for a particular goal also, but sometimes the goal of UX design is, you know, the, it's like, well, we need an interface, you know. It doesn't have to be particularly usable. It doesn't have to be motivate people to take a particular action, but we need something on the screen, you know. We got to yeah. collect some data and we got to go to the next step. And so I think sometimes that's why you end up with, you know, mishmash screens and pages because there wasn't any clear goal and somebody just wanted a screen. You know, I don't think that's a good way to design, but I think that happens a lot. You know, it, it is a really, it, and in this day and age, I think it's a really important consideration. Are we designing screens and pages with a particular goal in mind? And what is that goal? And is it, is it to optimize the user experience? Is it to optimize the user experience and see if we can get people to take a particular behavior? 
Is it, we don't care about the user optimizing user experience. We don't really care about the behavior. We just need screens and pages. I, I think that's, those are valid questions. And as a UX designer, I think a lot of, I think some of the frustration that UX designers have is that they are trying to do either optimize for the user experience or optimize for uh, a particular behavior and their stakeholder doesn't care about either of those things. Right. Very common. That's a problem. I think that's a problem. I'd be, and I, and I think it is one reason why it's, uh, <laughs> how many frustrated UX designers do you know, Guthrie? Mm. None? No, no, I said, yeah. Mm. Many, right? Yeah, of course. It, and I think that this is one reason why they're frustrated because really someone just wants them, you know, like I remember years and years ago, I was laying out the UX strategy for a project and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we'll interview the users and then we'll do some user testing. And they stopped me and they said, wait, why are you going to do all that? And it's like, well, we're designing the interface, right? And it's like, yeah, we're designing the interface. I said, well, you want it to be usable, don't you? And they said, no, not particularly. We don't care about that. Just <laughs> We just need the interface. And I was like. How else are people going to get to the features that we want? That's right. And and I'm so, you know, I mean, it, it, right? This is like everybody has their own mental model coming back to mental models. You know, my mental model was, of course, you would design the interface so that it is usable and optimizes the user experience, but their mental model was not that at all. It was no. exactly what you said. No, no, just design it to get to, to the features and people <laughs> use the features. I think these unspoken expectations are critical and I think we need to surface them. So I, you know, when, when I'm working on a UX project, I want to know are we just designing screens and pages? Are we trying to design them to optimize user experience and or are we trying to elicit a particular behavior? And I need to know that as a designer because I need to know then, then if I know the answer to that, I can put together my UX strategy and my behavioral design strategy for the work. So I think that's important to know. You know, and I think that the stakeholders often don't think of it that way, right? And, um, but I, I just think that's an important educational piece. So if you're gonna do behavioral design, you know, your stakeholders need to know what that means and that it's, n that that means you're not just doing standard interface design. And there will be extra steps that need will need to be part of the process in that the stakeholder will need to be involved in in order for that to happen. So I I, I think that's gotta surface early. It needs to surface early. Yeah, in the project. Because yeah. you know, I'm a huge proponent of, of design strategy right? Figuring out what you're going to do to get the work done and how you're going to do it. And, and you need to know what the design goals are in order to put together this, the strategy. And behavioral design is a separate design goal. 
So, you know, the question there, the critical question is, as I, as we are designing this thing we're designing, are there very particular behaviors that you want people to take in particular places? And if the answer is yes, then I know I'm going to have to do a behavioral design strategy, not just a UX strategy. And and similarly, you know, uh, analogous question is, are we trying to optimize the user experience? I think it's uh, amazing that I started by saying we should do something, you know, we were We'll do something concrete because we did conceptual models, and then we didn't end up. Concrete. And we made it. We managed to do something that was even more. No, oh, not no. more abstract. Oh no! It's it's, it's, it's still it was, it was still pretty abstract, you know. Okay, I guess, I guess so then different. maybe what we can do because you know this is a two part series, and the first part is supposed to be introductory, which I'm hoping this is, even though maybe you think it got too conceptual. <laughs> and then me, and then what we can do in the second part of the series is we're going to do a deep dive and and I would suggest let's do a deep dive into well and you may not agree and that's okay if you don't agree I'm willing to to hear out what you want to do but we could do a deep dive into some of the particular behavioral design techniques but we got to do a deep dive into something so you have like a day to think about this. Okay. We will, uh, we'll, is there anything else you wanted to add to wrap up this particular podcast? No, I think, I think this is good. I think we've, uh, hopefully we've given people a sense of how behavioral design is different from regular UX design. There's a little, a little bit of a windy road today. Do you think we should start all over? (laughs) We're not, that's not happening. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's not happening. Uh, again, uh, if you have questions or comments, you can email info at com. Again, we don't have any ads. We do this. Believe this. it or not, we do this because uh, we think it's fun. Guthrie, is that true? Yes, though, though uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, um, so we don't, we we don't get uh, I don't think we get paid enough to uh, to do any re-records if, if oh, at all okay. possible. Oh, okay. I was I was gonna say, why are you bringing this up? We have um we have in the past there were a couple times when we had to when like the mic was just yeah when we had garbage. technical difficulties right yeah. yeah nothing there's nothing worse than getting everything you want to say off your chest and then having to do it again <laughs> and then it's like yeah. You got to redo that. No. I think we have some ones that we did way. Like, do you you know what number we're on, Guthrie? Yes, I do. What number episode is this? Uh, I think this will be, give or take one or two. I'm not entirely sure. I think this will be uh, 147. Wow. 147 of these things? We are gluttons for punishment. But some of the early ones, I mean, our technology has changed a lot over the years. And in some of the early ones, I think we said we were going to go back and do, and I don't know if we ever redid them. There have been a couple that we have topics that we have revisited over the years. Yeah, but not because we had problems with the technology necessarily. Uh, Anyway. We probably should. should I promise. You, I promise that you don't even remember at least a hundred of the ones that we <gasps> did. 
Wow, that's a challenge. That you you don't even remember that we did one on a certain topic. I would answer honestly if you asked me. We should do. We should do. Do you remember the? Do you remember the one that we did about progressive design? You mean like progressive disclosure? Yeah. Probably. You no, you remember I, that? You remember? No, I just remember the topic. <laughs> remember us talking about a flashbulb memories? Yeah, actually, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember we did a whole thing on journey maps? But I believe you. <laughs> the whole thing on reading. I do remember the reading. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I remember more than you think. Okay. I have a pretty good memory. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Guthrie, and uh, we'll continue our topic on the on behavioral design next time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.